This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Old radio, old radio, old radio, old radio, old radio. Comedy Podcast. Welcome to episode 48 of season 3 of the Old Radio Comedy Podcast. Stan Freeber became famous as a comedian and through his multiple recordings for Capitol Records in the 50s and 60s, issuing best-selling comedy and parody records. Prior to that, he had done voiceover work for animations for Warner Brothers. When he replaced Jack Benny in 1957 on CBS Radio with The Stan Freeberg Show, he refused to accept any sponsors that sold cigarettes or alcohol, which served as an impediment to his show's success. This, combined with Freeberg's frequent clashes with the network management, resulted in the show being canceled after only 15 episodes, although those remain popular to this day among fans. Later, Freeberg founded an advertising agency, which was extremely successful. Freeberg won 21 Clio Awards for his commercials. He died in 2015. Now sit back and enjoy the September 15th and September 22nd, 1957 broadcasts of The Stan Freeberg Show. This is the tenth show of the series of the brand new radio series. From Hollywood, we present the Stan Freeberg Show. With the music of Billy Mayer. With the songs of Peggy Taylor, with George Webber, June Bruet, Peter Lee, to the Judd Condon Rhythm Airs. You may not find us on your TV, because in case you did not know, we're being brought to you on... Tonight, of course, all of us have just returned from a triumphant six-day layoff, <laughs> and, uh, and it's great to be back. Before we went on the air tonight, we asked the studio audience what their pet gripe was, and we were amazed to find their complaints were virtually unanimous. Now let's meet a couple of people from the audience. Can I have your name here, sir? Yeah. My name is George Hannigan. Uh-huh. What do you do for a living, Mr. Hannigan? I'm a truck driver, and that's why I said I'd love to get my hands on the guy who designed freeways. Good. All right. Mr. Hannigan, fine. Now, we have a lady driver here. May we have your name? Uh, yeah, Mrs. Edwin Hurst. Hurst? Uh, any relation to Randolph? You mean the reindeer? No, no, never mind. Now, uh... What was your, uh... What was your grouse again? Oh, I hate freeways. Splendid. Now, we also have two other people from the audience to make up our little discussion panel... And now the surprise. I'd like you all to meet Mr. Henry Cloverleaf, the inventor of the American freeway system. Mr. Cloverleaf! What in the world? Panel, look what you've done. You've rendered our guest, Mr. Cloverleaf, unconscious. What a terrible thing. Fighting inside the studio. Okay, we'll take him outside. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> uh, market research shows that the do-it-yourself craze is fading a bit because, well, people are afraid they really can't do it themselves as advertised. To put these skeptics straight... June Foray and I will assemble before your very ears the Freebird Build It Yourself Knockdown Grand Piano. Now, to show you how quickly and simply it can be done, our producer is going to time us. Are you ready in there? Okay. You ready, June? Oh, sure, Stan. I'm ready. Ready to show our listeners how truly super simple a piano can be assembled. Just answer yes or no, please. 
Yeah. Now you read the instructions, and I'll put this little beauty together. Okay. All right. All right. First, you take the parts out of the box. All right, that makes sense. <laughs> Okey doke. Everything's out. Now what? Now you fasten legs A to body B. All righty. Here we go. Okay, that's three of them. Legs A are on body B. What's next? Next, you take the long strip of ivory-covered wood C and saw it into 88 little hunks. Check. Black keys are in the right place. It says here you'll find out when you start to play. <laughs> What's the next move? Unwind roll of piano wire G and string inside body B, starting at treble and preceding the bass. All right. Wire around here. They're all strung up here. There we go. Yeah. Now you tighten piano wire G. Okay. <laughs> Oops. What does it say I should do when the wire busts? When wire G busts, tie a knot in it and proceed as previously instructed. <laughs> oh, get okay, it's all tied up there. There we go. Okay. What's next? Next, you take uh, top H and fasten the body B. Okay. Next, raise top H, fasten stick I to side of body B. Okay, stick I is in place. Next, raise top H and rest it on stick I. All right. Ow! Caution. Be sure Top H does not flip off stick I while hand J is underneath. He that hurt. Yeah. Well, that's it, I guess. No, 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 Stan. There's one more step. Assemble piano bench K. Okay, just a second. Okay. And place in front of assemble pass A, B, C, D, E, G, E, F, H, and I. Now, your free bird grand piano is ready to be played by hands J. <laughs> okay, there we go. What was our assembling time, please? Oh, that's too bad. Our producer dropped his hourglass. Oh, come on, play it, Stan. All right. Yes, friends, don't say you can't afford a grand piano until you've tried a Freebird built-it-yourself grand piano, which only sells for $29.95. Uh, tonight only this special studio demonstrator model, only $9.98. As is, if you call the station right now. Uh, say, you didn't tell them about the other models. Dan. Oh, yes, so I didn't. We have three models, the baby grand, the adult grand, and the teenager grand, which comes with ducktail keys, motorcycle boots on the legs, and an eagle on the lid. Call now, as <laughs> our supply is limited. Gee, Stan, you know, I'm very sorry about what happened. Why is that, Peggy? Well, I wanted to sing, but I can't very well with the piano all, all over, over the, the floor. floor. No, that's true. Well, would you do me a favor? Oh, certainly. Well, will you put it back together? Oh, surely. Isn't it? That's quite all right. That was nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, Peggy Taylor singing, Send for Me. Oh, 
when you want a true lover, send for me, send for me, you'll never want any other, send for me, send for me, I promise you, I'll be true, send for me, send for me. Anytime, just tell me your problems and you'll find out, baby. I'll solve them if you're late one morning. Don't hurry if you got big trouble. Don't worry, just depend on your friend. Send for me, send for me. Morning, noon, and night in the early bright. Don't you fret, my pretty pet, I'm gonna treat you right. Don't you dare raise a hair. I'm gonna share every care anywhere. Oh, yeah, send for me, I'll be there. Anything that upsets you, send for me, send for me. From time to time on this program, we should like to present literary giants of our time. The next voice you will hear will be that of Stan Freeberg, coming to you from the office of Albert T. Wand. Good evening, Mr. Wand. Good evening, Stan. Oh, Mr. Wong, how's it feel to be our first literary giant? Well, Stan, I'm not exactly a giant. I mean, I'm only five foot two. Uh, no, no. See, giant is just an expression. I mean, you're a big man in the field of literature. Oh, yes. I didn't uh, mean that. Uh, oh, yes. You were uh, literally oh, uh, actually a giant. Yes. Just, uh, <laughs> oh, yes. You know. Oh, yes. <laughs> Paraphrasing, as it were. Uh, let's get down to cases here and let the folks in on uh, what sort of thing. You understand, all right? Oh, yes. Good. Oh, yes. And let the folks in on what sort of things uh, you write. Well, Stan, I write these sayings on the little slips of paper you find inside Chinese fortune cookies. And allow me to add that they have been some of the most memorable fortune cookies I've ever read. Just wonderful. Would you rattle off a few of the old favorites there, Albert? May I call you Albert? Oh, I should be most offended if you did not. Well, you folks may remember this one. I wrote it back in 1938, and the whole country went around saying, Pleasant prospects for the future are indicated. And then, thank you, and then I wrote, do not act upon the impulse of the moment. Oh, I remember that so well. And I'm sure, I'm sure you will all remember this fortune cookie message. It was the first one I ever had published and printed inside a cookie. A letter of great importance may reach you any day now. I remember breaking open a cookie and reading that several years ago, Albert. And did a letter of great importance reach you? Yes, I was drafted. <laughs> I suppose there are other fortune cookie writers. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But in all modesty, I would like to quote a critic who writes for the Young Tribune. He said, Wong is the Oscar Hammerstein third of fortune cookies. People all over America walk out of Chinese restaurants humming his messages. They do indeed. Have you a few words of encouragement, uh, perhaps for young aspiring fortune cookie writers who may be listening tonight? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Each oh, oh, year... Yes. Oh, yes. Each year, countless young hopefuls break their hearts, trying to crack the inner golden circle of message writers. You've heard the saying... There's a broken heart for every fortune cookie writer on Maja Long Street. No, I don't believe I've heard that one. I wrote it. 
And your word of encouragement is? Keep writing. If you have to start out writing fortunes for weight machines, do it. <laughs> I got my start writing. You weigh 198 pounds and will travel. <laughs> As I like to say, oy vey. <laughs> so, my advice, stay with it. Don't be discouraged. Every cloud has a silver lining. Say, Stan, that would make a good make message. Make a good message, yeah. I just made that up, you know. Relive your guest. Let me just jot that down here. Okay, you want to use my back as a desk there? Thank you. All right. While you're jotting it down there, Albert, I'll just stroll out into your factory here. Mm -hmm. Mr. Wong, you coming with me? Oh, yes. Uh, could you explain how the message is put inside the cookie? Oh, certainly, Stan. After I write the message and it is printed, these girls here lay it on the unfinished cookie, which at this point is flat, like a little pancake. And then almost instantly, the machine folds the cookie and bends it around the message. Wonderful. I noticed you use girls with long, thin fingers. Oh, yes. Reason. They have to snatch their hand out of the way fast. <laughs> Good reason. Well, what if they don't? We have to call in a locksmith to get the cookie off their finger. <laughs> we never lost the cookie yet. How about fingers? Well, quite a few quite of those. Quite a few of those. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the hazards of the sport, I guess. Well, before we sign off, there's something I've been uh, dying to ask you, Mr. Yes. Wong. Oh, yes. You know the, uh, the joke that's been making the rounds? Oh, yes. You are referring to the joke where somebody supposedly opens a fortune cookie and found the message, Help me. I am being held captive in a Chinese fortune cookie factory. That's the one, yes. Well, to tell the truth, Stan, I am just a little bit sick of that one. Mm. Everywhere I go, people pull it on me. I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard that. You're a wealthy man. Yeah. Well, it's only a joke. Yes, a poor joke. A poor joke at that. Uh-huh. Yes, there was that sort of a pounding noise there. Oh, it's nothing. It's just someone working on the buildings, Then I don't know. It's a workman or something. Uh-huh. Uh, let's get back to my office, Stan. Uh -huh. Please. All right. And thanks so much for being with us, Mr. Albert T. Wong. gentlemen, you've heard our vocal group, the Judd Conlon Rhythmers, singing behind Peggy and behind me on many of my Capitol records, and tonight we think it'd be nice if they sang out front. All right. Well, let's see, there's, uh, let's see, six of them all together, and by name they are... Judd Conlon, Clark Yoakum, Chuck Schroeder, Mac McLean, Lulie Jean Norman, and Gloria Wood, Florence Nightingale, Enrico Caruso! Hold it. Lanny Ross. <laughs> All right, you guys. Everybody after Gloria Wood didn't count, folks. Here's the Judd Conlon Rhythm Airs singing just one of those things. Just one of those things. Just one of those crazy things. One of those bells that now and then rings. Just one of those things. It was just one of those nights. Just one of those fabulous flights. A trip to the moon on gossamer wings. Just one of those things. If we thought of it, of the end of it. When we started painting the town, we'd have been aware that our love affair was too hot not to cool down. So goodbye, dear and amen. Here's hoping we meet now and then. It was great fun, but it was When we started painting the town, we'd have been aware that our love affair was too hot, not too cool down. So goodbye, dear, and amen. It's hoping we meet now and then. Great fun, but it was just one. There's been swell, what a song. So long. Lots of fun. We're done. Just one.
for the third lecture by Dr. Herman Horn on the subject of hi-fi, which, as you know, is the reproduction of music and sound in high fidelity with a full range of frequencies. They know that, you lunkhead. <laughs> uh, last time we presented the sound of Benny Goodman playing Danny Boy 20 feet underwater in a kelp bed, a life-size latex rubber Liberace being inflated, and many other fascinating things. It was a wonderful sound, too. It was a wonderful... The close of the lecture was unfortunate. The good professor's assistant, Strudelmeyer, scratched the needle right across the hi-fi record. Unforgivable. Of course, under the hi-fi oath, he was supposed to be boiled in turntable lubricating oil at once. But I'm a good-natured fellow, so I told him I would wait until after tonight's lecture. Now, the first yeah, thing... Pardon me, Doctor. Who are you? I'm your announcer. Don't be ashamed of it. I once played tuba for Horace Height. <laughs> well, I've been kicking around the idea of a little custom installation myself. There is, there is no such thing as a little custom installation. Well, now, I only meant that I... Quiet! Quiet! Here's the equipment you must have. Must, must, must. Four 2,000-watt amplifiers and ten separate preamps. A 21-jewel turntable, a diamond stylus, a pearl master, <laughs> and a cotton pickering arm. What about the speaker? The whole house becomes a speaker. You move into the garage. <laughs> I think we better forget it. I, I the entire to... house becomes a giant speaker. Now it's settled. <laughs> it's settled. No, it, it, it's, it's, it's not so. Besides, my wife, my wife doesn't like loud music. Yeah. Loud. Yes. I would expect that from a wife. We've got a special demonstration for people like your wife to prove that hi-fi can be soft. <clears throat> soft and misty as the teardrops in a mother's eyes as toward the chair her wayward son is slowly led. Nick Kenny, Mayor Syndicate, 1945. <laughs> the old ones are the best. <laughs> okay, Strudelmeyer, roll in the crate. Gently. Gently now. There we are. Oh, oh, oh pardon me. Uh, pardon me. Is that fur on those wheels? Naturally, there's nothing softer than a mink wheel. <laughs> I'd like to hear about it. Mm. All right, unpack, Strudelmeyer. Inside the crate, in a nest of flogged peach fuzz and eider up, that's twice as soft as eider down, <laughs> rests a 2,000-year-old Ming Dynasty porcelain temple bell. It is struck with the soft, fuzzy cotton tail of a Ming rabbit. Only hi-fi could bring you the delicate highs of the sound. Okay, Scrooge, let's hear it. No! <laughs> Meathead. I said just with the tail, not with the whole lousy rabbit. <laughs> if up, Strudelmeyer, you could be replaced by Quasimoto. Before we come to the end of my lecture, I'll show you the difference between highs and lows. <clears throat> you have just heard the high vibrations when our friend here smashed the temple bell, for which he will be fed to the octopi at Marineland right after the show. <laughs> now for the low vibrations. Listen as Clumsy here plays a mating call on the Canadian moosehorn. Go to... Um, he has good jazz ideas. <laughs> yes, but his lip isn't too good. He sat in with Chet Baker the other night, and I, I think that, uh, what is that? Strudelmeyer, is that your moose? Well, get him out of here and stop blushing. <laughs> Why don't we just forget about me buying a hi-fi? Be quiet. Be quiet. As you and your wife sit of an evening... Shivering in the garage, listening to your house. 
really wonderful types of sounds you can play on your hi-fi. The sound, for example, of James Cagney removing his makeup. If we had time, he could remove the other 999 faces. <laughs> but what about music? Can I listen to music on my system? What for? It's only good for checking to see if you have wow and flutter. Or if you can still hear the turntable rumble. Oh, I see. That's all it's for and nothing else. Yes, I understand. Only purpose. Mm -hmm. However, if you persist, let me show you how loud music can be on a real hi-fi system. Well, that won't be necessary. Yes, it will. First, I play an average record played through a cheap... $5,000 home hi-fi system. See if you don't see how thin the orchestra sounds. <laughs> Terrible. Now the very same record played through my own stereophonic orthopedic cinema guadarama phonic sound system. Okay, Mr. Meyer. Hey, doctor, I really don't think the building can withstand the vibrations. Stand back, Brady Cat. <laughs> Now, if you aren't chicken, turn up your volume knobs all the way! Tonight only, this special demonstrator studio, only $9.98. <laughs> well, that concludes a series of three lectures on Hi-Fi by Dr. Herman Horn. It also concludes Dr. Horn to say nothing of Strudelmeyer. However, we shall carry on alone. Look to us in the future to bring you such goodies as the collapse of the Los Angeles Shrine Auditorium in Hi-Fi. That'll be a good one. A child's garden of voodoo. A stereophonic binaural recording of the fun-filled Charge of the Light Brigade with the original cast. <laughs> As you may remember, we promised to bring you my recording of Shaboom tonight, but the uh, mail has been rather heavy begging us to please not do rock and roll, and their point is well taken. I mean, they want a lot of gibberish, you know. So if you want to hear Shaboom, write us, and we'll try to do it. But tonight, we're doing something a little more along the ballad lines. Ladies and gentlemen, one of my favorites, and I hope it'll be a favorite of yours, Elvis Presley's Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> well, since my baby left, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of lonely street, and it's could I have a little more echo on my voice? Although it's always crowded, it's just a fine to lose. the lovers to cry. Oh, I written my team. Third pair today. No, no, that's enough. The pains are coming back. I do more, I do more, but I'm afraid I'll be arrested. And before we sign off, are there any questions you folks in the audience have about Elvis? Yes, all right, that gentleman right there. How come I can never understand what he's saying? Good question. Because on his particular RCA Victor Records, the dog has got his head caught in the speaker. Now, this lady uh, right here in the yellow dress. Uh, yes, Because there's a boy who had a loose bicycle seat. 
And time for one more question. When is this program over? <laughs> right now. Until next week, this is Stan Freeberg saying thanks for listening. God bless you and good night. Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Alliance Show of the series of a brand new radio series. From Hollywood, we present the Stan Freeberg Show. With the music of Billy Mann. Plus the songs of Peggy Taylor with Dawes Butler, June Parade, Peter Meek, and the Good Common Rhythm Airs. You may not find us on your TV. Because in case you did not know, we're being brought to you on. What do you want? What do you want? Our API oh. Good evening. Well, here we are again already for another yawn packed half hour. <laughs> you uh, may be wondering if I'm breaking in a new voice. Actually, I am, I guess. I'm just getting over a mild case of the Swiss flu. The, uh, Swiss flu? Yeah, this way we don't offend anyone. <laughs> College football opened this weekend, and in keeping with this great event, we've asked that star sportscaster, Cliff Les Hotley, to come in and tell you about one of the most dramatic gridiron plays in the entire nation. Thank you. Cliff Hutley speaking from deep down below the great concrete memorial stadium of State University at University City in the dressing room of the great state team, the Bearcat Panther Tigers. And here with me is a man with a real story, Francis Butch Charmley, a man with a real story. Tell me, Francis Butch Charmley, last Friday night was the big day for you when you suited up and went out there with those two-fisted Bearcat Panther Tigers to play right wing back on the offense against your opponents, the Varmint Timberwolves, on your first time out as a varsity man. When the score was tied 48 to 48 with less than a minute to play, it was the fourth down and you were sent downfield in the shadow of the goalpost to catch a long, looping pass from that great left-handed quarterback, Gellish Morton Kazan. Tell me, how did you feel? All right. <laughs> and when that ball went sailing through the air in a long, looping pass, and there was less than a minute to play, and it was fourth down and the score was tied 48 to 48, and this was your first time out, suited up as you were, as a varsity regular, what thoughts were racing through your mind, Francis Foot Charmley? None. <laughs> none. None, ladies and gentlemen. But that isn't all of your story, Francis Foot Charmley. No, indeed. There's a story behind the reason that this was the first time you were suited up to play varsity regular. There was that long time you were on probation, not allowed to suit up. You were not allowed to play with the other boys. And your amateur standing was questioned because Ned Cronin, a professional sports writer, bought you a banana milkshake. <laughs> And who was it? Who was it, Francis Butch Charmley, that would not let you go to the Olympics to compete in the hop, skip, and jump when you'd set a record in Skowhegan? Who was that man? Avery Brundage. <laughs> Avery Brundage. Think of that, ladies and gentlemen, and today that cloud has passed over, and at last you were able to suit up with the varsity. Tell us, Francis Butch Charmley, you seem more mature than some of the other fellows on the team. Just how old are you? At 58. <laughs> Yes, after waiting 39 years to suit up with the varsity and with less than one minute to play, and it's fourth down and the score tied 48 to 48, and that great left-handed quarterback, Gellish morton Kazan threw a long, looping pass to you in the shadow of the goalpost. How did you feel when you dropped it? Disappointed. <laughs> Thank you, Francis Butcharmley, for tonight's vivid story and your story behind the story of last Friday night's great game behind the game. When you went out tied after you have the 39 years waiting to suit up. And then you drop the ball.
Well, what are you going to sing, Peggy Taylor? Why, don't you just say, what are you going to sing, Peggy? I mean, people don't call each other by their full names in normal conversations. So. I know, they do in radio. It's a rule, believe me. You have to say things like, well, what have you been up to lately, hi, Aberback? Oh, sure, yes, I've heard them say things like that. A million times you've heard it. Mm -hmm. Now, what are you going to sing, Peggy Taylor? Gosh, I don't know, hi, Aberback. <laughs> no, just forget it. Uh, why don't you sing the monkey song? It's from the pen of Hoagie Carmichael. You know it? No. Okay. I'll sing it for you, and you write down the words, okay? Okay. Hit it, Billy. It's a story about a monkey and a king, King Rebop, and his dream. Down in the jungle, he has a dream about flowers, dreams about a bird. He also dreams about a monkey. He dreams this monkey can play the drum. It seems that the king is broke. He needs dough. And as a missionary. Well, the monkey heard swing down a woo hoo ling He got bit, he got bit by the beat of it. He hopped upon the hippo's back. And with a grin, he went into his dance. Singing Sugity Agni back. King Rebop said, You stop, you ain't exactly on the back beat. I look up a beat and then he shuffled up a rhythm. Got the monkey going with him in the minute. They were balling the jack in the sand. Well, the monkey made a coconut tom tom. Found an old drum that belonged to the voodoo. And by the middle of the week, everybody was speaking about the monkey and his medicine band. He beat licks with his sticks to a record by Bex. Till his rhythm was a talkable a congo. He had a canoe playing a kazoo. And a jug man rounded out the combo. One day a missionary with a Bible and canary came a-riding on a dog through the jungle. King Rebop shouted, hey, stop, Pop. I know ways that we can make a bundle. So we told a missionary with the Bible and canary about the monkey and the way it played drums. And it added that he had a little bit of bad luck and he'd like to sell the monkey to Frank Buck. Okay, said the man with the Bible in his hand, if the deal is according to Hoyle. I see what you've got and I'll pay you a lot if you promise not to boil me in oil, 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 oil. So we went with the king down a hula hula to take a look at it. See if we can make a buck on it. But the monkey king kept raving about didn't open up the mat all man. It was just another monkey king rebound then. Woke up, found out he'd been a demon. And upset caused a little missionary with the Bible and canaries a king. It must have been somebody you had. Somebody you had. Okay, now, Peggy Taylor, did you get all the words? Well, I got everything up to where you said, hit it, Billy. <laughs> oh, oh, fine. Well, would you like to sing that number? No, I don't think so. Why not? You just sang it. True, true. Well, I'll be thinking of another number, and so, so will you, I hope. Behind every great performer in show business, uh, there is... A woman. Wrong, an agent. <laughs> In many cases, he's not only behind the performer, but on payday, the agent is out in front of the performer protecting his 10%. <laughs> we thought you'd like to learn how an agent operates, so we've invited Mr. Foster Pelf to be our guest. Uh, hiya, Sam. Trust the flesh. Well, shake hands, huh? Yeah. That's a smart saying, all right. Oh, you have to be hip in my business. <laughs> I'll bet you do. Yes. Tell me, Mr. Pelt, how many clients, uh, how many clients do you have? Uh, 64. All dogs. <laughs> I don't, uh, see any reason to go around knocking your clients. Who's knocking them? They are dogs. <laughs> I specialize in canine artists. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> is there uh, much uh, demand for them? Oh, there certainly is. Especially in television. Mm, I'll bet. I suppose most of the demand is for uh, acrobatic dogs. Well, funnily way. enough, that's not so. You see, I, uh, I book quite a lot of my clients in acting parts. Uh, character stuff and, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. You mean they wear beards and tote guns, do psychological takes? Oh, brother, I'm glad I'm not your agent. <laughs> well, then, uh, what uh, kind of character parts do your clients uh, play? Well, all kinds. Derelicts, good-natured slobs, friend of the leading child. Any of your clients ever get starring roles? Well, funnily enough, 
<laughs> You've uh, just put your paw on a very interesting point. Finger. Oh, pardon me, finger. <laughs> well, that's probably because I like to do interviews in depth. Yeah. Uh, you see, it's hard to book my clients in leading parts because, you know, all writers just aren't writing the kind of star parts a dog can play these days. Unfortunately, <laughs> but true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'd be astonished, really astonished, at the quality of scripts producers send my clients to read. Hmm. Be astonished, would I? You certainly would. <laughs> you mean your dogs read scripts? Well, no, wait a minute. I mean, don't you think that would be expecting a little too much of a dog? <laughs> oh, yes, forgive me. Dogs don't have any perspective. <laughs> I have to read the scripts to him. Gee, <laughs> all that for 10%, huh? Well, I take a deep interest in my client's welfare. I try to keep them on top. You, uh... <laughs> you don't want them to go to the Bow Wows, eh? I wonder if I came to the right place. <laughs> no, nah, I was only joking. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, I got a chihuahua wow that gets off a better one-liner than that. <laughs> Be that as it may. Well, that's a sick chihuahua at that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear about that. Would I be correct in assuming that some of your clients play speaking parts? Well, actually, I don't hold out much hope for talking dogs. Like I said, you know, on account of those lousy writers. <laughs> well, you think there's more future then for dogs who write their own material? Well, that or, you know, with a specialty... Oh, especially, you mean like wearing a little hat and climbing up a ladder? Are you kidding? That stuff went out with Fink's mules. <laughs> My boy here plays jazz trombone. Come here, Miff. Miff, come here, boy. Come on, Miff. Let's have a little applause here for Miff. Oh, my. That's an awfully small trombone he's carrying there. Now, listen, Mr. Freeberg, don't press me. Just how long do you think a dog's arm is? <laughs> Boy, they don't treat you like this on the Ted Mack show. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, let's see what he can do there. Okay, Miff. Miff, that's a strange name. Well, yeah, Miff Mole's old records have influenced them the most. And well, they could. Now, play it cool, Miff. Uh, could we have a little accompaniment? Yes, certainly. Hit it, Miff. Play good, baby. Chops is beat. Well, never you mind, Miff. That was amazing. Arf. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, Miff. Baby, you did noble. I'll take five. Here, catch. What are you feeding in there, liver? Uh-uh. Kibble's bringing my own records. <laughs> They're, they're lovely, they're nourishing, and rather inexpensive. Mm-hmm, good. Well, all in all, Mr. Pelf, well, would you say this is going to be a good season for dogs? Would I? Wait till you see some of the new television shows. <laughs> and it's been nice talking to you, sir. And now we... Oh, I see a gentleman in the audience there as he's hand up. You uh, have a question, sir? Dogs that play trombones, monkeys that play drums. When is this show going to get believable? Well, I... I'm so bored, my trunk has gone to sleep. <laughs> well, that's the breaks. Well, Peggy Taylor, have you thought of a song yet? Yes, I have, Stan Freeberg. I'm going to sing the Grand Canyon Suite. <laughs> no, no, see, it has no words. You're kidding. I swear to you, it has no words. Well... 
Couldn't I just dumb de dumb it? No, I'm afraid not, dear. Well, no, all right. How about if I sing famous last words then, huh? How about if you sing it indeed? I won't think about him. I'll just forget him. I'll wake up in the morning and I know I'll feel much better. I'll start all over. I can do it if I try. You won't see me cry. Famous last words. I'll tear up his picture. I'll burn that letter. I'll throw away the scarf he gave me and that nowhere sweater. I'll find the new love. Yes, sir, that's just what I'll do. And I won't be blue. Famous last words. Now I won't miss his pipe smoke that clings to my dresses. I won't miss the warmth of his tender caresses. If he comes back crawling, I'll just ignore him because I don't adore him. Can you see I don't adore him? He'll say I'm sorry. I'll say, baby, that's too bad. And I'll be so glad. Famous last This fall, there will come galloping onto your TV screen the greatest array of Western characters since Smiley Burnett was on This Is Your Life. (laughs) Allow us to be the first to give you a composite preview of these thrilling, action-packed sagas of the West. Just shut your eyes now, and you will hear a typical soundtrack that will be coming out of your television set this fall. No peeking at the picture now.
Somebody sure cut through that fence, all right. Yep. Somebody sure cut through that fence, all right. Come on, Foreman. Let's get on back to the ranch. Okay. Back to our action-packed story in just a moment. <laughs> first, a word from the newest member of the Eating Corporation of America's breakfast family, Puffed Grass. Puffed Grassy, Puffed Grass. Chock full of vitamins and chlorophyll, too. It's good for puffing. Hi, boys and girls. This is Jet Crash. I'm a test pilot. Believe you me, I couldn't break through the sound barrier every morning. If I didn't start off my day with a stomach. Full of puffed grass. (laughs) One hundred million cows can't be wrong. The only breakfast food containing chlorophyll. Two. Yes, when us test pilots are all alone up there, pulling out of a sonic dive on the verge of blacking out, with a pull of nine G's on our body... I can't tell you what a comfort it is to have that extra chlorophyll protection. <laughs> Two. It well makes me the most popular test pilot of the annual Lockheed Prom. Yes, you can spot the puff grass eaters in any crowd. They got a green mouth. Now, back to Bang Gunley, U.S. Marshall Field. Let's tie in the feed bag, eh, woman? Okay. <laughs> One thing about you, Ma, you sure womp up a mess of vittles. Foreman and I rode out there this morning. Oh! Well, uh, tell us, new foreman, what do you think? <laughs> well, ma'am, looks to me like I'm going to sure cut through that fence, all right? <laughs> To our action-packed saga of the old western gentleman, folks. Good evening. I'm your friendly research chemist here at Eating Corporation of America. You may be interested in learning the painstaking research that went into the discovery of puffed grass. 
One day, our nearsighted gardener here at the factory took some clippings from the lawnmower and, mistaking it for the incinerator, threw them down the barrel of one of our puffed oat guns. The result? Puffed grass. Yes, science is always working for you at the Eating Corporation of America. Today, puffed grass is shot out of six guns, just like the one Bang Gunley uses. Every morning at the factory, I take a gun, a breakfast dish, and shoot myself a bowl of puffed grass. <laughs> of course, a cast iron bowl helps. But the goodness is there in every blade. One hundred million moocows can't be wrong. What's good for Bossy? Mm. It's good for me and you. To our thrill back story. <laughs> well, Foreman, we just can't thank you enough. What for? Why, for, you know, agreeing with me that, that it sure looked like someone had sure cut through that fence, all right. <laughs> Just part of my job as Bang Gunley, U.S. Marshal Fields. By thunder, <laughs> I knowed I'd seen you somewhere before. Mr. Gunley, does this... Well, does this mean you, you won't be staying on as our new foreman? Afraid not, Miss Beauty. My work is finished here. Oh, sakes alive! I got a pie in the oven. Oh, come on, Pa. Let's leave these young folks alone. Uh, oh, I didn't... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mr. Gunley? Ma'am? A penny for your thoughts. Well, uh... Miss Judy, I'm not much of a talker around women folks, but I've been thinking lately, and, well, now I'm sure. Come here. Yes? Miss Judy, somebody sure cut through that fence, all right. <laughs> well, <clears throat> come on, Pedro. See, sí, amigo. <laughs> We leave mucho pronto, eh? What? Well, where did he come from? Pedro, he materializes at the end of each episode. Pedro, is he Mexican? No, senorita. Swiss. <laughs> this way we don't offend nobody. <laughs> Adios. Goodbye, Miss Judy. Goodbye. <laughs> You can tell he stands for justice by the way he draws a gun and the proud look about his green mouth. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, it looks like 30 minutes have slipped away from us again. How is that possible, Dawes? Well, they slipped through the hole in the fence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and don't forget, if you'd like to see our show, we'd love to have you. Write for tickets, care of CBS Radio, Hollywood, California. While you're at it, send me something for this cold, even if it's only Dr. Christian. <laughs> Until next week, this is Stan Freeberg saying thanks for listening, God bless you, and good night. Stan 
Freiburg Show is produced in Hollywood by Pete Barnum and is written by Stan Freiburg, Pete Barnum, and Jack Roos. Featuring the music of Billy May, Judd Collins with the mayor's the song of Peggy Taylor, Doris Butler, Peter Lees, and Jim Murray. Buck Sewell speaking. Be sure to tune in next time, my friends, for another classic comedy radio show. I'm Greg Fordyce. Thanks for listening. Thanks for 